0: I'd like to ask this afternoon as we get into the sermon, how important are these things? Why are these things happening? And how are these things going to affect us? I don't want to talk about prophecy, but I do want to look at some prophecies as we get into the sermon today. Why are these things happening? God predicted these things hundreds and thousands of years ago. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 3 for just a moment. Isaiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom. His period of ministry was approximately 740 B.C. to about 700 B.C. Now, while he was a prophet to the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel went into captivity about 720. So Isaiah was prophesying prophesying about 20 years before the northern kingdom went into captivity. They were still prosperous at that time. And some people say that the chapter we're going to read about here in chapter 3 is just about Jerusalem. But notice the thrust of Isaiah's prophecies in chapter 1. Verse 3, for example, says, The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. Israel does not know. My people do not consider Chapter 2, verse 5. O house of Jacob! O house of Jacob! That's talking about 12 different tribes, not just the Jews. So Isaiah had a message that was not only for Judah, but for Israel. They had not gone into captivity yet, and these things are dual. They apply to us today. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. Now if we go to chapter 3, verse 1. These are prophecies of what happened in Israel and Judah at that time, why they were sent into captivity, but these things have applications today. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, the Lord of hosts takes away from Jerusalem and Judah. He's going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah. And Jerusalem and Judah, Jerusalem being the spiritual capital of really both nations in that sense, is significant. But God is going to take away the stock and the store, it says. Basically, He's going to take away the supports of human society in these nations. Notice what He's going to take away. The whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. You know, just last summer we were looking at a a two-month supply of water in this area. Atlanta was looking at about six weeks before they ran out of water. But God says He's going to take these things away. We're in a respite now. You know, the lakes are about 97.4% full because we've had just about as much water this year as normal. But that's no guarantee that next summer is going to be the same. God says He's going to take away the the, the supports of society, bread, water, food, the mighty man or the hero. Mr. Lyons was talking about heroes. You look at some of the people that are heroes today on YouTube, (laughs) some of these other places. Uh, You wonder what has happened to our nation. In fact, there was an interesting article in the... uh, Charlotte Observer here not too long ago, written by the chief recruiting officer of the United States Army. He said, Too many young Americans fail to meet minimum standards on health, education, and character. He said, Only about 20%, only about 20, I guess about 28%, I guess it was, of 17 to 24 year olds qualify to join the military. In other words, 71% or more aren't qualified even to join the army because of health, because of education, and because of a lack of character. This is the most powerful nation on the earth. This is what's happening to us today. But God says, I'm going to take away the stock, the store, the mighty man, the man of war, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50. In other words, there's going to be a leadership vacuum. As we approach the end of the age, a lack of qualified, capable leaders in America and Britain and other Israelite countries. Verse 4, I will give children to be their princes. In other words, impulsive, unpredictable, capricious individuals to be their leaders. You know, we've got a boy and an old man running for president. Men in their 50s and 60s, supposedly in the prime of their life, aren't running. Colin Powell, a couple of years ago, he said, Well, I don't want to run. I don't want to make this you know, difficult for my family. Here's a highly capable man. It's not running. God says, I'm going to take away these men, these leaders. I will give children to be their princes, and babes, immature people, will rule over them. That's what's happening today. The people will be oppressed, everyone by one another, everyone by his neighbor. The child will be insolent towards the elder. This is happening today. Verse 6, When a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, Look, you've got nice clothes. You be our leader. You be our ruler. And let these ruins be under your hand. And that day he will protest, saying, Look, I can't cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Uh, don't make me your ruler. I don't want this to be under my... Watch. Down to verse 11. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them. and For the reward of his hands shall be given him. In other words, we're going to reap what we sow. As for my people, children are their oppressors. Women rule over them. You know, society's been turned upside down. Society's being turned upside down today. O my people, those who lead you cause you to err. In other words, your leaders are pointing you in a wrong direction. As a result, society is coming apart. Turn ahead a couple of pages to uh, Isaiah chapter 9. These are prophecies that applied to ancient Israel as it was coming apart. And it certainly does apply to us today as we will see. Isaiah addressed those prophecies in chapter 3 to Judah and Jerusalem. But notice here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8, The Lord sent word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. Verse 13, For the people do not turn to him who strikes them, In other words, they're not turning to God. Nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore, the Lord will cut off the head and the tail from Israel, the palm branch and the bulrush, in one day. There's going to be a sudden demise of the Israelite peoples. The elder and honorable, he is the head. He's talking about government people. And the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. So both government leaders and religious leaders are leading people in the wrong way. Verse 16, For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. People that blindly follow along, leaders that are going in a wrong direction, are going to reap the consequences. And it's not going to be fun. Jump to Jeremiah chapter 9. These were prophets that God sent to Israel and Judah before they went into captivity to warn them. Jeremiah chapter 9, let's break in here in verse 9. Oh, that I had uh, in the wilderness a lodging place for wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they are all adulterers, God is saying about His own people, an assembly of treacherous men, And like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for the truth on earth. You know, my people don't care about the truth. And as a result, they're going to go into captivity. Ezekiel chapter 22. Again, Ezekiel was sent to warn uh, the people of uh, Israel before they went into captivity. And in chapter 22, it explains why. Actually, chapter 20 through about 22 talks about why they were going into captivity. Ezekiel 22. Let's just start reading here in verse 23. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, uh, You are a land that is not cleansed or reigned on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They've devoured the people. You know, we've got ministers today promoting gay marriage. We've got ministers today promoting the ordination of women. We've got ministers today promoting various things, allowing various things. They should know better. It's talking about the house of Israel. You go back to verse 18 in the same chapter conspiracy of the priests in her midst is devouring the people. Her priests, verse 26, have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They've not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the clean and unclean. They've hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths. You know, we've got one billion Catholics in the world today. We've got about a billion Protestants in the world today. And most of those Protestants, Catholics, don't keep the Sabbath. They've been told it's been done away with. And God calls this a conspiracy of the religious leaders. Just skipping down through here, verse 29, the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy. They've wrongfully, uh, they have wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God said, I was looking for men who would stand up and take a position and be counted to stand up for the truth. And he said, I didn't find any. They weren't there in Israel. Let's go to one other scripture in the New Testament. This is an indictment of the nation of Israel anciently, but as we will see, it certainly does fit us today. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, prophecy for the end of the age. And just notice how this reflects what we have been reading already. Isaiah chapter excuse me. Second Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse one. But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Difficult times, stressful times, troubled times. There's a reason for that. For men, maybe put a circle around that, men will be lovers of themselves. They only think about themselves. Lovers of money, they're greedy. There's an article in the paper this morning, an Alaskan senator was about to be indicted for taking bribes. This is what's happening in America today. We lived in Boston for about ten years, and it seemed like every politician that went out of office up there one day wound up in court the next day (laughs) being sued because of all the things that he gathered to himself while he was in office. It was just a big joke up there. But it was happening. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, Unholy, unloving, in other words, they're callous, inhuman, without natural affection, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, all these things. Lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. And notice it says, men are going to be doing these things. Men are going to be doing these things. Isaiah says, the end of the age basically, that children will rule and women will rule over the men. A society that's been totally turned upside down. Does that resemble the days in which we live today? We have had two presidents in the last several decades. We're literally removed from office for moral and ethical reasons. President Nixon got involved with Watergate. And he was removed because of the lies, because of breaking laws, Here is the highest office in the land. And then President Clinton comes along. Playing around with girls in the office. These are the examples that our leaders have set today. We've had televangelists been disgraced for their behavior. Then it makes news hundreds of Catholic priests have been removed because of molesting children. It's costing the Catholic Church billions of dollars to settle up on these things. You know, when you look at surveys that have been done on levels of respect that people have for leaders in office, I couldn't find the exact surveys uh, preparing this, but I think my memory serves me right that uh, uh, the approval rates of, of politicians and ministers and lawyers tends to be about 30%. There was only about 30% of the people trust ministers and politicians and lawyers. It was a joke I saw in the paper a short while ago. It said, you know why the Ten Commandments have been removed from city hall walls? Because the Ten Commandments that talk about thou shalt not steal and lie and so on creates a hostile work environment for lawyers and politicians. (laughs) It's very threatening. These are jokes that people tell. But they're describing reality today. This is the world in which we live. What I'd like to ask then in the sermon is how does all of this impact you and me? This loss of leadership and men that are going off in wrong directions. How does this impact you and me as men and women in the church of God, as boys and girls growing up in the church of God? You know in second Corinthians six verses 14 through eighteen, maybe just jot that down. As Christians, we are told to come out of this world, come out of this world, leave this stuff behind and begin to live differently, to be separate, to be different. And some people today don't want to be different. (laughs) They don't want to stand out from the world. They want to kind of slip into the world so that they're not noticed. That's what happened to the Worldwide Church of God. They wanted to go back to where many of you have been because they, they think there's something there. They have to find out there's nothing there sooner or later. But we've been told as Christians, Paul says, to come out of this world, be separate. Jesus said we're let our light shine and be lights to this world, to be different than the world is. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 17, verse 11. Matthew 17, verse 11. This is part of our mission today as a church. We've talked about this for years. But hopefully we can think about this deeply in the context of what we're talking about today. The disciples knew the prophecy in Malachi chapter four that Elijah must come before the Messiah would, and they asked Jesus, uh, "You know, who is this this Elijah, and is is he going to come? Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said, "Elijah is, or truly is, coming first, and will restore all things. And you know, we've been called to recapture true values." to begin to focus on what is really true and really right and be back in harmony with those things so that we can prepare the way for the return of Jesus Christ. What I'd like to focus on today is the subject of Christian manhood. Because what we're talking about in the first part of the sermon, those prophecies, talks about men will become greedy. Men will do a lot of bad things that children will rise up against men, and that women will try and dominate men. I want to talk about Christian manhood today and talk about why God created men. I appreciated Mr. Lyon's sermonette because it certainly does tie into what we're talking about today. About having heroic qualities and admiring individuals that have heroic qualities. But I want to talk about why God created men, the roles that men Are intended to play in the plan of God. You know, He created you as a man or a woman. It wasn't by accident. Well, how did I get two of these things? They're different. (laughs) No, He created us to be different, to complement each other as part of His plan. I want to talk about the challenge facing men today and women in the Church of God because the Sermon on Christian Manhood really applies to all of us. As men, we need to understand what we should be. In raising our boys, we need to give them a very clear idea of where they need to be going. How does this apply to women? Many of you young ladies have or will make decisions about marrying some guy. You need to know what constitutes a real Christian man. And young men need to take these things into consideration as they prepare to be men. So this applies to all of us. We all have a challenge. If you're raising boys, you've got a challenge today. I picked up a book not too long ago Talked about the hair-raising joys of raising boys. Another comment was that little boys are like human perpetual motion machines. They're just constantly going. And some people today think that's, that's abnormal. These little boys have to be cured of that because they're, they're pathological. There's something wrong with them. You've got to make them more like girls that don't run around quite so much. Now, these are crazy ideas. But these are some of the ideas that educators are into today and politicians are into so what constitutes a Christian man? You know, what is Christian manhood? You know, the world has a concept that it promotes through movies and television of what it means to be a man. You know, real men smoke marlboros. You know, real men drink. Real men swear. Real men sell tell dirty dope. Yeah. <laughs> Dirty, dokes, huh? <laughs> dirty jokes, dirty jokes, <laughs> and they chase women They do all kinds of things. You know, they do, they just drink beer and watch TV. Is this what manhood is all about? Now, turn to Isaiah quickly. <clears throat> We're going to look at a number of things in the, the book of Isaiah today. But Isaiah 55 again. Isaiah writing to a nation that's about to go down the tubes. Actually, is going down the tubes. It just hadn't hit bottom yet. But here's the advice. They had a challenge too, people living at that time as we do today. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. We're not going to have all kinds of time in the weeks and months and years ahead to kind of figure things out and repent and do a lot of things. We better take advantage of the time that we have. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. That is, God will have mercy to a person that turns around and changes, for he will abundantly pardon. But then God says to Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than yours. You know, this idea that real men drink and smoke and chase women and do all kinds of things like that is wrong. Totally wrong. And yet these are some of the challenges that young boys have to deal with. Which path am I going to follow? And men have to make the same decision. What example are they going to set? If you marry a guy before he's made up his mind as a girl you may be in for some surprises. We've got to be thinking about where we're going. We need to be pointing our young men and our boys in a right direction and helping our girls understand what is right and what is wrong. See, we're all in this together in that sense. But God says, my ways are not your ways. The world's ways are not my ways. Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, The Word of God is the beginning of knowledge. If We go to the book. Why did God create us? What guidelines has He given us if we want to be real Christian men and point our boys in the right direction? Let's notice some things quickly. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. And we'll be teaching a class in Old Testament survey. We'll be covering the whole Old Testament in two semesters. And Genesis chapter 1 through 11 really lays the groundwork for virtually everything that God is doing. An awful lot is compacted into these chapters. But in Genesis chapter 1, we get a perspective, verse 26. God says, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish, of the sea, fowl, the air, and so on. Basically to rule. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, created he him. Male and female created he them. You know, we weren't created in the image of monkeys or elephants or bats or whatever. <laughs> we have been created in God's image. We have two eyes, a nose, a mouth, two hands, two feet, arms and legs. We look like God. We've been created to rule. And we can't rule unless we have God's mind. Your rulers are are leaders, they're teachers. God is a creator. And He's created us and given us creative abilities. And it's exciting learning to use those creative abilities to make things, to design things, to paint pictures. God does things like that. And He's given us these capacities to learn to use. So God is a creator. He's a sustainer. He didn't walk away from His creation. He's involved with His creation. We can't create things and then walk away from it. You know, people that conceive children and walk away from those children or horrible things. See, there are lessons to learn, very powerful lessons to learn. But God created us in His image. He wants us to develop His mind and His perspective. You know, in Philippians 2, verse 5, you don't need to turn there, but it says, let this mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. Part of our challenge as men and as women is to develop the mind and the perspective of God on Christian masculinity On femininity. We can talk about that in a later sermon. But we've been created to grow and develop so that we can eventually reign with Jesus Christ on this earth. Genesis chapter 2 mentions that God created uh, a man here and put him in a garden, verse 15. And commanded the man saying, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but don't eat of the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil. And he creates a woman to be his helper, comparable to him. So we find here that the man was created first, the woman was created second, the man was given a job, and then he was told that, that he could marry this woman latter part of that chapter. This is the sequence that we find. Man was created first, the woman was created after that to be a helper, to be a complement to him. It's not good for men or women to be alone. God created us to be companions for one another. But Adam was given a job, then he was provided a wife. And this is an important sequence we need to keep in mind. You you go looking for a wife, you don't have a job, you've got your priorities wrong. If you want to be a husband and a father and you've not prepared for that, you're going to have problems. Because you're not going to be ready to handle the responsibilities. See, these things are extremely important. Notice Proverbs, Proverbs 24, verse 27. This is advice to a young man. That's what Proverbs is all about, but girls can read it too because there are applications to you. It says, prepare yourself, uh, prepare your outside work. I think the old King James says, prepare yourself in the field or make it fit for yourself in the field and afterward build your house. In other words, do things in order. Another way of of paraphrasing this would be, build your barn first and get your horse. And it might be a stallion. It might be a mare. <laughs> but build your barn first. Prepare. Be ready. It's important to keep these priorities in mind. And a person that's a wise man will do that. One that's ruled by his emotions and so on. I won't pay any attention to these things and then get in trouble later. Genesis 18, another aspect of... What God shows is important for a man. Genesis chapter 18. This was a characteristic that Abraham had. And I think one of the reasons why God made Abraham the father of the faithful. Genesis chapter 18. In verse 19, God says, For I have known him, that is Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice. Abraham was a teacher, the spiritual leader of his family. This is what men need to do. They need to prepare to do that, to be the spiritual leaders of their family. Not just preaching at them like I'm doing to you today. (laughs) But setting an example. Uh, and pointing the family, encouraging the family, nurturing the family to move in a direction. I have known him, God says, in order that he may command his children after him and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord. We've got to prepare to be spiritual leaders. What I noticed up at camp this summer, I did a couple Christian living classes. Some was high school workers and some were Others. And it was the girls that answered the questions The guys listened But they didn't participate as much I'm thinking Something's wrong with this picture You know, The guys should be there Asking questions and answering things I'm not putting the girls down I'm kind of jogging the guys There's something missing Another thing I noticed was that the kids that were homeschooled sometimes had more Bible answers than the kids that went to public schools, which is probably a reasonable uh, result because kids that are homeschooled are being schooled in the Scriptures. You can't bring those things up in school, public schools. It's interesting. You know, Why are men in trouble today? Why are men doing all kinds of crazy things? You know, we read part of the key in Isaiah 3 is that your leaders have caused you to err. Your leaders are not pointing you in the right direction. And we're seeing the fruits today in our society that we'll talk about as we go through the sermon. But men need to be prepared to become spiritual leaders, which means they've got to develop self-discipline. They've got to be studying the Scriptures on their own. They've got to be growing and learning Their education can't end when they get out of college, when they get out of high school. (laughs) We've got to continue to grow and continue to learn. Another scripture in uh, Genesis chapter 3, let's go back there. Another characteristic that God is looking for in men. Now, Genesis 3 is kind of a negative. Adam was told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, some people say, but what part of this is good, even though part of it is bad. But God said, don't play that game. Don't play this game. Well, it's partly good, partly bad. I was reading a book on Christmas the other day. And the guy that wrote it was saying, you know, I said, I'm a Christian. I'm totally frustrated. I love Christmas. Getting together and candles and smells and so on. But it's so commercial. I hate that. Well, <laughs> it's got good and evil mixed together. You know, God's way doesn't involve a mixture of good and evil. But the world's way does, and it's very deceptive. Adam was told, you know, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But then Satan comes along and, and, and entices Eve. Verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, well, <laughs> it looks good. Look, it's nice and fresh and plump. And it was pleasant to the eyes. Look, it's nice and red and whatever color it might have been. And it's desirable because I can become wise. I'll know good and evil. And she gave it to her husband and he ate it. What's wrong with this picture? God made men to lead, to be active in leadership. And what was Adam doing? Thank you, honey. Oh, yeah, it does look good, doesn't it? He was very passive. He wasn't leading, he was following. And the consequences we can read about. You know, as men, men need to be leaders. Taking the initiative, taking action. I believe it's in Matthew 16 where Peter was kind of urging Christ. He said, you know, I'm not going to let you die. Jesus didn't say, Well, thank you, Peter. I really appreciate your concern. He said, Peter, you're being influenced by a wrong source. He took the bull by the horns. He was active. When Jesus went into the temple, turned the tables over. <gasps> did you see what that man did? Somebody could have gotten hurt. No, Jesus went in, turned over the tables. You know, men have to take initiative and do things. I go back to this one situation in Big Sandy where we had Dr. Stevernides came down and he was giving a lecture to all the faculty and he had his two blackboards up there and he was asking for questions and if you asked the question he liked, he'd write it down on this board and if you asked a question he didn't like, well, that's a non-question. We'll put it over here. And he was basically intimidating people. He said, we're not going to move on in our discussion until everyone in the room agrees. Well, nobody wanted to disagree. <laughs> I'm sitting there doing a slow burn, and I realized others were too. And finally he was asking for a question. I stood up and I said, Dr. Stavronides, this is not scholarship, this is intimidation. And he went, well, here's a chalk. You want to come up and do it? And I said, this is your show. But it broke the meeting up. There are times when we need to stand up and take a position. I remember hearing a lecture at Ambassador College years ago, before you say something, think about a couple things. Does it need to be said now? And I thought, yes, it does. (laughs) And uh, the other question was, should I say it? Well, I looked around the room. He had a Ph.D., and there were only about six or seven other people that did. And I figured if some of us don't say something... And he's going to push everybody else around Does it need to be said now? Yes, it needed to be said now and So we need to evaluate what we're doing But you know, Masculinity involves making decisions Taking a position And taking risks from time to time you know, I knew I'd probably get fired Because of a sermon I was going to give down there And I was told, you better be careful well, I had enough money in the bank to make it for a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there are times when we have to do some things. And God is looking for people that will stand in the gap. In uh, Joshua, notice the advice that Moses gave to Joshua. Now, J- Moses had some big shoes to fill, but he trained Joshua. And Joshua then trained leaders to follow him. And it was a very productive process. Notice the advice that uh, Joshua was given. Verse 1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, so that's a description of Moses, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. In other words, we've got to move on. Now, therefore, arise and go over the Jordan, you and this people uh, to the land that i 'm giving you down in verse six, it says, "Be strong and of good courage, you know be strong and of good courage, you know at various times in life we go through trials and tribulations, and we 've got to be strong during those periods of time we 've got to exercise faith, you know God says in Romans 8.28, that all things will work to our good. All things will work to the good, to a person who's called according to the purpose of God. See, we've got to maintain some faith during those periods. of time. Well, I just got fired because I keep the Sabbath. Hang in there. God notices these things. And He'll work some things out. Be strong and of good courage. Because you've got to divide the land for this people. Verse 7, same thing. Be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Be strong and of good courage. You know, little boys when they're growing up, they take risks. They climb out on a limb and sometimes the limb breaks. I remember I was... I was going to school. Uh, the boys were probably, I don't know, six, seven, eight, something like that. And I had just given a sermonette, and we were talking to people in the congregation. This was in Banning, California. And some guy came in and said, you, know, you better check on your one of your boys He's up on top of the roof of a building next door. <laughs> <laughs> I went out there, sure enough, he was up on top of the roof. Uh, why do boys do that? Because they're boys. <laughs> And today, people say, well, we can't let them do those things. They might get hurt, you know, and all this stuff. You know, we've got to let boys be boys. Otherwise, they will not turn out to be men. You know, we were just talking about Colonel Travis at the Alamo. According to the Walt Disney movie, he'd been wounded or something. He was sick, and he drew this line on on the ground. But these were people that stood up for what they believed. And they lost their lives for it. But they became heroes that inspired other generations. This is what God was telling Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. It's not going to be easy. But you plot a course and then you stay with that course. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, keep your nose in the book. You study the principles that I've given you, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do all according to what is written in the book. Why? For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Do it God's way. Do it God's way. Have I not commanded you third time Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. God is saying these things. Be strong, be good courage, and I'll be with you. Exodus 18, some other qualities that God is looking for in men. Again, women can have a number of these qualities too. Exodus chapter 18. Moses was told to select judges, leaders in Israel. And these are the qualities that he wanted Moses to look for. And these are qualities that you and I can strive to develop as men, and qualities you encourage your boys to develop. Exodus chapter 18. Verse 21, Moreover, you shall select from all your people able men, capable men, men with ability. Again, young boys have to be given opportunities and encouraged to read, to study, to grow and develop. Able men such as fear God. Explaining who God is to young people. How God creates the world. I remember some friends of ours were raising a couple of little girls, and uh, they were telling the girls, Now, God created the animals, they created the, the zebras, and the, the lions, and the tigers, and the elephants. And then they said a little bit later, said, You know, we're going to go to the zoo this afternoon and see some lions, and tigers, and elephants. And the little girl said, Is that where God lives? <laughs> you know, we need to explain who God is, how He operates, what our purpose is on this earth. Men who of truth. That they don't lie. They're not for sale. They can't be bought. They won't compromise. And you can teach little kids to do those things. You don't compromise. You tell the truth. You hate covetousness. And this thing about uh, you know, big boys only have bigger toys. You know, you have little little play things when you're little, little boats and so on. And then when you get big, you buy big boats. You have little box cart or little little what they call them uh, uh, matchbox toys. When you get big, you, you just get bigger cars. But that's not what success is all about. That's not real success. Now, it's nice to have nice things. But if the focus is on, well, I got the nicest threads in the world here, you know, and I got the nicest car in the parking lot, I got a great big house, you know, people to get those things eventually find out, now what else can I get? Because it's empty. I remember a guy I used to uh, babysit for, I think, whenever I was in high school. He was young, and uh, he just bought himself a brand new Porsche at that time, about $58,000. I remember I went through his garage one time. He had covered up with a blanket <laughs> in the garage. And then I saw him a week or two later, and he was really mad. He said, they just brought out a newer, more expensive model, and I thought I had the biggest one. <laughs> but he had already bought it. And he was going to lose a lot of money to go back and get the bigger, more expensive model, because that was where his focus was. That will not satisfy you. There are more important things. So, these are qualities we're talking about of men that are extremely important. Another quality, quickly, is in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10. It says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there's no work, no device, nor knowledge, or wisdom in the grave where we're all going to go. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Focus. You know, work hard. Be diligent. Proverbs also talks about a diligent person will stand before kings. They're going to be noticed. They're going to be rewarded for their efforts. I remember I worked with an older gentleman in the New England area. He was a foreman, an iron worker, building buildings with a steel work. He said, I've tried to retire three times. Every time I retire, they call me back to work. He says, these young guys don't want to work. They call in sick on Thursday evening. So they don't work Friday, don't work Saturday, don't work Sunday. They call in sick again on Sunday evening. And they might show up Monday or Tuesday. And then they call in sick again Thursday night. He said, I've been called back to work three times after I retired. Because we can get work done. He was a hard-working guy. He shook his hand and it was like picking up a piece of iron. <laughs> he was a hard-working guy. But he believed and exemplified Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever he did, he did with his might. Now this has got to be tempered with wisdom. <laughs> because sometimes you can do things with all your might and be going 100, 100 miles in, you know, in the wrong direction. There's got to be wisdom that goes along with this. A book that we've recommended over the years entitled Man of Steel and Velvet, A Christian Approach to the Vital Part that a Man Plays in Marital and Family Harmony. It's got two sections in the book talking about the steel part of a man being a protector. God is our protector. David talks about you're my high tower, my fortress, my rock. God has that quality and we've got to be protectors providers well if, uh, you know, if we get married and I don't have a job my wife will take care of things it's upside down providers, protectors they build society You know, Moses built a nation Jesus Christ built the church we've got to be builders creators with character, and character has a whole list of qualities, developing self-confidence and taking care of our health. The velvet part of men is understanding women, not just telling them what to do. <laughs> I'm the man here. I'm in charge. No, understanding women. That's what First Peter 3, verse 7 says. Understanding their needs. And one of their needs is for financial security. If you don't provide that, then uh, your wife is going to be on on the edge of things. Listening. I just want to solve her problems. No, you need to listen. (laughs) Let her talk out some of these things as opposed to coming up with solutions all the time. See, understanding the needs were made different. I know that's not politically correct today. But we are different. God designed it that way. And the velvet side of a man is to understand women. But they, you know, as boys grow up, they need to see their father understanding their mother. And if we've not seen these things, then it's going to be harder to do that. There should be a gentleness and a tenderness uh, and, and an ability to show affection. This is the velvet side of men. Being attentive... Also being youthful. I enjoy working with Mr. Parting because he is youthful at age 90. He just got a new little laptop yesterday to play with. <laughs> and he always talks about taking all the girls out to lunch. <laughs> but he's youthful in that sense. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves, not take ourselves so serious. Uh Humility another velvet side of a man being humble being willing to listen to learn and developing refinement for the nicer things of, of life maybe something else to afford the nicer things of life but to appreciate them is part of it but these are all qualities of <clears throat> of what it means to be a christian man let me give you a couple of points here quickly <clears throat> How do you prepare to be a Christian man? How do you become a Christian man? How do you recognize a Christian man? How do you raise Christian men? Four points quickly. Number one, study biblical examples. Study biblical examples about David. Why was he a man after God's own heart? What was Hosea like? What was Isaiah like? What was Jeremiah like? What was Abraham like? You know, Study examples in the Bible. Study the Scriptures. Put them together. Think and meditate on these things. Number two, read some books on Christian manhood. This book, Steel and Velvet, Man of Steel and Velvet. There's another one entitled, I believe, uh, <clears throat> Making of a uh, Modern Day Night. I'll get to these titles a little bit later. Another thing just to read quickly. <clears throat> came across a book some time ago entitled What is a Man? 3,000 Years of Wisdom on the Art of Manly Virtue. And it's just got real short articles uh, <clears throat> on the subject of uh, masculine character, temptations of men, a uh, bunch of things. One of the things that jumped out of the page at me was that why are men so different today? Why are men given to greed and all these other things? Well, partly because of the message that comes through the media. But we didn't used to be that way in this country. Here are the rules of Harvard College, 1643. It was basically men going to Harvard at that time. One rule was let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly Pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. That's what kids were told at Harvard in 1643. It was established by Puritans. Another rule, every one shall ex- so exercise himself in reading the scriptures twice a day that he shall be ready to give such an account of his proficiency therein, both in theoretical observations of the language and logic and in practical spiritual truths. This is how we trained men at one point in time in our history. Another law, that they shall eschewing all prof- profanity. All profaning of God's name, attributes, word, ordinances, and times of worship, to study with good conscience carefully to retain God and the love of His truth in their minds. And it goes on about uh, several other laws. Another little interesting tidbit was from uh, Canterbury Tales by Geoffrey Chaucer. A little poem here called The Night. Talking about chivalry. This is not bad to think about. A knight there was, and that a worthy man, that from the time he first began to ride out he loved chivalry, truth and honor. Nothing wrong with that. Generosity and courtesy they were knightly values. Full worthy was he of his lord's wars, and to them he had ridden no man further as well in Christendom as in heathenness, talking about where these wars were fought, and ever honored for his worthiness. And always he had the highest praise. And though that he were worthy, he was wise, and bore himself as meekly as a maid. In other words, he was humble. He never yet a vile thing said in all his life to anyone of any kind. He was truly perfect, gentle knight. These were values that we had in Western society at one time that have disappeared and are disappearing. And These are some of the things we need to regain. Nothing wrong about raising a modern-day knight if you're raising a boy. Raising children, how do you raise Christian men? Proverbs 22, verse 6 talks about training up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he's not going to depart from it. The challenge we have today, something like 22% of American homes are fatherless. Well, big deal. You know, it happens to everybody. No big consequences. We are told. And yet when you look at some of the statistics, kids that come from fatherless homes commit... 63% of suicides, 63%. They comprise 71% of high school dropouts, 80% of drug users, 85% of behavioral disorders, 85% of the youths in prison come from fatherless homes, 90% of runaways come from fatherless homes. And about 22% of kids in America are growing up in fatherless homes. From dads that weren't responsible in some cases. See, we are reaping what we're sowing today. We've got to turn these things around. We've got to turn these things around. Another reason we're having problems today, this book entitled The War Against Boys, How Misguided Feminism is Harming Our Young Men, written by Christina hoff Summers. She's got a doctor's degree in philosophy. She's raising two boys, and she wrote a book. She says, this stuff that they're doing to our kids, teaching little boys to uh, play with dolls, to eliminate their aggressiveness, having them make quilts, and then playing role models as girls so they know how it feels to be a girl. And then canceling recess, because it makes these kids too aggressive. You know, when I was growing up in grade school, I lived for recess. <laughs> <laughs> and most young boys I talk to say, what's your favorite class in school? Recess! Why? Because they can run and jump and do things. You know, when our boys were five, six, seven. We had attended the afternoon service by choice in Pasadena when we were there because that was their nap time. And we would take them out for a walk sometimes down to the LA County Arboretum Saturday morning and just walk the whole way around the arboretum, (laughs) get them good and tired. Then we had to keep them awake while we drove back to to get ready for church. But boys are like that. You know, we were over in Wales, I think, a couple years ago, and Scott was there with his little boy and little girl. And uh, Tara was just walking along with her dad, and Colin saw this brick wall. And, you know, brick walls are for climbing up on and jumping off of. (laughs) You know, we're wired those ways. And you take those experiences away from kids, they're going to suffer the long term. So we're up against... Some really big challenges today. The school system wants to do some of these things very differently. Our society is sending the wrong messages. Charles Dobson has written a book entitled *Bringing Up Boys*, and he quotes a Dr. Nicholas Nicolosi, a Dr. Nicolosi, child psychologist, made a very interesting statement. He said, "Masculinity is an achievement. Masculinity is an achievement." It doesn't just happen. It requires good parenting, social support, and I'll add a couple more words here, good examples, and it takes time. It takes time. You've got to spend time with your boys. I remember when we first got married <clears throat> and when Scott was born, I was playing tennis with a gentleman at the college in Pasadena, and he said, well, what's it like to be a father? I said, I can't wait until he gets older so that I can devote more time to the work. And he kind of just verbally picked me up and put me against the locker. And he said, when that boy gets older, you're going to have to spend more time with him. You know what my immediate reaction was? He's not converted. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I had a chance to read his boy's applications to college later. Now he took up rock climbing when his boys were teenagers. And he made experiences available for them. And they came through the college and had an impact on the college. Because he spent time with those boys. When I was first hired to work in the ministry, I was told to report to the minister's home about ten o'clock in the morning. We would talk a little bit, then we'd go visiting, then go to lunch, and then go some visiting, and then you really couldn't visit that much over dinner, so we'd go walk around the mall and do some things like that and i get home about 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. I hadn't seen my family all day. I did that for a little bit, and when I started visiting on my own. I said, you know, if you don't mind, I'm going to come home about 3, 30, 4 o'clock, play basketball with the boys in the driveway, have dinner with my family, and then if need be, I'll go out in the evening. And as the boys went through their teenage years, I made it a point to be at home with them, to spend time with them. We've got a good relationship today with the boys. But these are things we have to do. It takes time to create masculine men. Another quote I came across was, Being male is a matter of birth. Being a man is a matter of choice. Being a male is a matter of birth. Being a man is choosing a way to go. Choosing a way to go. Requires right knowledge It requires good examples Three things that boys need And we'll conclude here very quickly Three things that boys need And this comes from a book entitled Raising a Modern Day Night by Dr. Robert Lewis Raising a Modern Day Night Number one, boys need a clear vision of what it means to be a Christian man Boys need to be told and shown what it means to be a man. Proverbs 29:18 says, Without vision, people perish. But those that follow God's laws are going to be happy. We need to explain to boys as they grow up. And we need to have a clear understanding as men. You know, to be a Christian man, you've got to be creative. You've got to be active. You've got to be honest. You've got to be able to lead and prepare to lead. We've got to be courageous and take risks from time to time. Be a protector. Be one that's caring. The second thing that boys need is a code of conduct. A code of conduct. Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. The poem I read from Chaucer. Where you focus on honesty, you focus on what's good and what's right. Joseph had a code of conduct. He wouldn't do certain things that he was tempted to do. Daniel had a code of conduct. Daniel's three friends had a code of conduct. Jesus Christ had a code of conduct. You know, at the Living Youth Camp, Mr. Weston has talked about creating a culture of purity. A culture of purity. We want to do things right. We want to focus on what is right. And you can do that with your children, helping them focus on what's right and how to treat girls and how to treat women with respect. A third thing that young men need, young boys need, is to develop a noble vision to have a purpose in life. To have a purpose in life that's bigger than they are. In Matthew 6.33, it talks about Seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else will fall into place. I've encouraged young people over the years, working with them at the college, as they contemplate careers, ask yourself, what would be useful today? What would be useful ten years from now? And what would be useful in the coming kingdom of God? Think about that. What would be useful today, ten years from now, and in the kingdom of God, what skills that you're learning on your job can be transferred and used in the coming kingdom of God? Because God is molding and fashioning all of us. He's preparing us literally to turn the world right side up. You know, people have lost sight today of what true masculinity is and what true Christian manhood is all about. We've got some some ground to recover. Because we've been called to become teachers in the coming kingdom of God to say this is the way. This is the way we need to go and these are the benefits of going that way. I would really encourage you to do some reading in the scriptures. Do some Bible studies on the heroes in the Bible. David, Joshua, Daniel, Paul. Read some books about heroes. Picked up one at the airport here not too long ago <clears throat> by Paul Johnson. He's a British writer, historian, he's a Catholic, but he's got values. The book is entitled Heroes. Had a chapter on uh, uh, De Gaulle and Winston Churchill. Had some other chapters on individuals. They're, they're quick reads. But as you read about, I was talking this. About this to somebody else. You know, the stuff that kids are told to read in school Edgar Allan Poe and guillotines and stuff like that, and some of the other stuff. Yes, there are literary things we can learn from these things. But why not read something that's inspiring, that you really want to be like? You want to be like Poe? <laughs> you want to be like some of these weird people? You know, I read books on Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone, and I wanted to be like Davy Crockett and wanted to be like Daniel Boone, because they're inspiring. They're exciting. You read about Churchill, you want to be like that. And if we can encourage young fellows and men to, to focus on really powerful things, exciting things, the world is going to change. And we're having an opportunity to prepare for that. Brethren, the world has lost sight of what it means to be a Christian man. God prophesied several thousand years ago that this would be the case. But Jesus Christ is coming back to restore all things, to put things right. And you and I have been called to prepare to assist him in doing that. So I would issue a challenge and I would issue a challenge today. Strive to become a modern day knight and raise your boys with a sense of chivalry to prepare to build the world tomorrow and to protect our fair ladies. It can be a very exciting challenging future that we all hold if our goal is to prepare to be real Christian men.